0: What shoes are you wearing? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles, Jr., author and pastor-teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. Today's text, out of Ephesians chapter 6, instructs us to be strong in the Lord and to put on his armor. Today's message with Pastor Charles is the shoes of the gospel of peace. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles, Jr.
1: Ephesians chapter 6, let me begin reading at verse number 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Focusing on verse 15, the third piece of armor mentioned in the six listed in verses 14 through 17, permit me to label the message, the shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes of the gospel of peace. The battle of the Chosen Reservoir at the end of 1950 was the decisive battle of the Korean War conflict. 30,000 Allied soldiers, who history now calls the chosen few, were surrounded by 120 Chinese soldiers. That battle that lasted almost two weeks was a success and a failure at the same time. It was a failure in that The Chinese army was able to push back the Allied forces and drive them out of North Korea once and for all. But these soldiers are remembered valiantly for the fact that they survived this battle where they were vastly outnumbered. And it is said that some 40% of the Chinese army died in battle from this small chosen few that fought so diligently. But many came home with great and long-lasting injuries. Injuries not inflicted merely by the enemy combatants on the field of warfare, but by the inclement Conditions in which they waged war. It is said that during the Battle of the Chosen Reservoir, the temperatures dropped at points to as low as 30 degrees below zero. And many American soldiers came home suffering from frostbite due to. Particular shoes they were wearing in the cold field of battle. They were wearing technology from the Second World War called shoe packs. These shoes had leather soles and double lining within, and they were given, when they were deployed, two sets of lining and six pairs of socks, and they were trained to periodically change out these socks because even the perspiration of their feet could cause frostbite in the cold temperatures. But this technology did not suffice. And soon after the Korean War, better models were designed. The new model was called the Mickey Mouse Boot. Sounds funny, but that Mickey Mouse boot became the foundation that is used for modern footwear in militaries all over the world. The American government found out after the Korean conflict that it's, it's not just important to have technology and weapons and training and strategy to be successful in battle. You also need simply Good shoes on your feet. This is the simple message of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. Strong Christians stand firm in spiritual warfare by putting on as shoes the readiness provided by the good news of peace in Christ as I mentioned, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, is the fullest explanation of the doctrine of spiritual warfare in the New Testament. We see here in the progression of this letter, as it comes to an end, that Paul says to his readers, that if you believe in Christ, belong to Christ, and behave like Christ, get ready, because at some point, The enemy will fight back. The Christian life is a spiritual warfare. And we must stand firm in battle. That's the foundational exhortation of verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Call to arms is not a command to attack the enemy. Hear these next two sentences very clearly. The Lord Jesus Christ has already won the victory, and the enemy has already been defeated. But Satan. That's a good place to say amen. (laughs) But Satan and his forces continue to fight to reclaim lost ground in the believer's life. Thus, Paul here exhorts the, the believer, the Christian warrior, to stand firm. In fact, three times in this passage, verse 11 Verse 13 and verse 14, the Christian is exhorted by God in the text to stand, stand firm, or stand your ground. We aren't able to stand firm in spiritual warfare because we have been equipped with what verse 11 and verse 13 calls the whole armor of God. Verses 14 through 17 list six pieces of this armor of God provided to the Christian soldier. The list begins with two references in verse 14, where Paul says, If you're going to stand firm, first of all, you must strap on the belt of of truth. You have to fasten the belt of truth around your waist to hold everything together. And then to guard your heart, you must take on and put on the breastplate of righteousness. But now in verse 15, there is another piece of armor that is needed and necessary for you to be a strong Christian. Paul says, as shoes for your feet, verse 15. Put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The English standard version here reads as shoes for your feet, but in the literal reading of the original text, shoes are not directly mentioned here. If you have an older translation, it probably reads more literally that you should shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The shodding of peace is ancient terminology for the act of putting on shoes. We don't use the terminology to speak of putting on shoes today except for the act of shodding a horse with horseshoes. It is interesting that in shodding horseshoes on a horse, you, you are not just putting Shoes on a horse, but the shoes in a real sense become a part of the horse. And that's the spirit of this text. They are shoes that's got to be a regular part of your life if you're going to stand firm against the enemy. Paul says, for you to stand firm in battle, you need more than just a belt and a breastplate. You need good shoes. Historians tell us this was one of the keys to success for the great armies of the ancient Roman Empire. They didn't just have wisdom in their strategies. It was not just the size of their armies. It was not just the ingenuity of their weapons. They also were successful because they supplied adequate footwear for their soldiers they provided what was called the caliga for foot soldiers these were half boots glorified sandals that were strapped up well on the soldier's foot that provided both mobility and stability they made the roman soldier mobile and agile So much so that a lookout in the distance could spot the Roman army in the distance. And before they could prepare themselves for battle, the Roman army would be on them to attack. Because the shoes provided for their foot soldiers allowed them to move with speed and sure-footedness in a long march and over rugged terrain. The term Wrestle in verse 12 of our text also tells us the kind of warfare that was practiced in the ancient days. It was in the heat of the battle, hand-to-hand combat. And the goal was to get the opponent off his feet in a vulnerable position so that you could take his life. But the shoes provided for the Roman soldier not only gave mobility during the march, but stability when it was time to stand. Paul here says that there will be times when the enemy of our souls will attack your faith in Christ, your devotion to Christ, and your obedience to Christ. And You must be prepared to march forward and stand firm. But to do this, you got to have proper shoes on your feet. you got to have proper shoes on your feet to march forward. Can I think about Ephesians 6.15 really without meditating on Isaiah 52 verse 7 where the prophet talks about how beautiful on the mountains are those who bring glad tidings. In ancient warfare, to get the news home about the battle, there would be a messenger designated and he would come running back home to give updates about the state of the battle and it just seemed as if it was good news his feet would run faster. So much so that the language was developed that it was beautiful feet on the person that was bringing good news. In Romans ten fifteen, Paul uses that for those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to move forward proclaiming the good news, but, but you can't share the good news with others if you ain't been strapped up with the good news for yourself <laughs> and shoes for your feet. This gospel of peace helps us to move forward, but it, but it also helps us to stand firm, and that's the burden of the text. There will be times when faith in Christ, of, devotion to Christ, obedience to Christ is, is attacked, By putting on his shoes for your feet, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, you are enabled by the help of God to stand firm in the midst of battle, church. This verse is not just a statement about the equipment God has provided the Christian soldier. It is also a statement about the strategies and the schemes of Satan and his forces. Here we are reminded that Satan is constantly at work to stop your progress or to knock you down. Anybody in here with me today? But God has provided shoes to help you stand your ground. There's an old axiom that says the cobbler's children have no shoes. Cobbler is an ancient term for a shoemaker. Do you get the contradiction? The cobbler's children have no shoes. What a strange thing it would be for a man to be in the business of making shoes and his children are walking around barefoot. The cobbler's children have no shoes. Thank God that could never be said about the Father in heaven. (laughs) who provides what his children need not only not only the believers wealth not only in terms of the believers walk but also in the believers warfare we are enabled to stand firm n- no matter what attacks our faith in Christ because God has provided shoes for our feet Lehman Strauss, the commentator, said these are not the leisure shoes of the world or the lounging shoes of the slothful, but these are the war boots with which the Christian soldier stands firm in his faith. With what do we put on as shoes to stand firm? Paul says we we put on as shoes the gospel gospel of peace. (laughs) Paul wrote half of the New Testament and no one mentions the gospel in the New Testament more than Paul does. And no one mentions peace in the New Testament more than Paul does. But Ephesians 6.15 is the only place where the gospel and peace are joined together. Paul says the shoes you need to put on to help you stand firm in the faith is simply this the gospel that is characterized by peace what is the gospel the word gospel in the new testament just literally means good news or glad tidings when we talk about proclaiming the gospel we are simply talking about the announcement of good news this good news involves bad news and good news at the same time in fact you can't embrace the good news until you first acknowledge the bad news the gospel begins with the bad news of sin all of us are sinners We are created by God. We are created for his glory. We are created to do his will. But in Adam and Eve, all of humanity has rebelled against God, our creator. The Bible calls this sin and God who is holy demands that sin be punished and this is is the condition of every person born in this world. In Psalm 51 verse 5, David says, Behold, I was born in sin, and in iniquity did my mother conceive me. This poetic language is meant to indicate by David that he didn't just become a sinner when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, but he was a sinner from his mother's To put it another way, he didn't volunteer for the army of sin when he messed with Bathsheba. He was drafted the moment he was conceived. In sin and iniquity, he says we're conceived. The word iniquity just means to be bent or twisted or perverted. It, it, It theologically means that every one of us in here is born into this world with an inclination toward sin. And before you look around at somebody else, note that Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, All of our righteous deeds are as a filthy garment before the Lord. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8, Paul says... If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in 1 John 1 and 10, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. This is the bad news of sin. God is good and holy and righteous and we are not and we will have to answer to God for how we have lived our lives. That's the bad news of sin. But here's the good news of salvation. John chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. We are guilty sinners who must answer to God for our sins, but the good news of the gospel is Jesus paid our debt at the cross. Romans 6, verse 23 says it this way For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you, do you see the bad news and good news right there in that verse? The bad news is we are sinners. Even worse, sinners have to pay wages for sin. Even worse, the wages of sin is death. Physical death and ultimately eternal death. But here's the good news. If you run to the cross and trust in Jesus, watch me, you can turn in the wages and leave with a gift. Oh, hallelujah. That gift is eternal life instead of eternal death. And you don't have to work for this eternal life. It's a free gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, listen to Paul again in verse 15. If you are going to be a strong Christian in spiritual warfare, you need your shoes on your feet, the gospel of peace. Let me try it another way. If you're going to stand against the enemy, you need to know where you stand with God. You better be standing in the shoes of the gospel. And these shoes of the gospel are characterized by peace. We often misdefine peace by trying to explain it in terms of what it's not, you know. The absence of war, hostility, animosity. But real peace is about more than the absence of negative things. I suppose nobody's fighting at the local cemetery this morning, but I wouldn't recommend you go looking for peace there either. (laughs) Peace is about more than the absence of the negative it's it's the presence of something positive in the old testament that's the way they greeted others when they were coming and going they would say peace be with you and the word peace means more than I hope you don't get into a fight before the next time I see you that that word peace was an all-inclusive word, shalom, that was hard to define because it included so much health and well-being and success and favor and blessing. Every positive thing was implied in that well-wishing statement, peace be with you. And the spirit of that is conveyed right into the New Testament. Real peace is not just the absence of negative circumstances. It's the positive presence of God in your life that sustains you in the midst of whatever negative stuff is happening around you. It's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer just registers the temperature. But a thermostat regulates the temperature. This is what Christ provides, a a regulating internal sense of well-being that will sustain you and enable you to stand firm no matter what dangers, toils, and snares you have to face along life's journey. Are you listening to me here? In Christ, we have peace with God. January 31st, 1973, in Santo Domingo, Patrice Tomeo permitted himself to be crucified, nailed to a cross as a public call for world peace harmony and understanding among the peoples of the world this televised event was watched by many as he vowed to hang on a cross for 48 hours with for the goal of world peace but 20 hours in an infection in his foot demanded that they bring him down and the headlines in the papers the next day simply read crucifixion for peace falls short you could change the language and fill in the blanks for anything we attempt to do to produce peace for ourselves. Good works fall short. Noble aspirations falls short. Sincere motives fall short. Self-righteousness falls short. Church attendance falls short generous giving, charitable acts, faithful serving, moral living falls short. There's nothing we can do to fix what our sin has messed up. But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13, just one page left of our text, Says, by the blood of Christ, those of us who were far off have now been brought near to God. Sin separates us from God, but the blood of Jesus is able to reach you no matter how far you may. B, that's what Andre Crouch said about the blood of Jesus, ain't it? He said it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood of Jesus reaches those that are far from God and draws us near. How does he do it? Glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 declares this. For he himself is our peace. You missed it? Let me try that again. Jesus doesn't just give peace, offer peace, provide peace, promise peace. He is peace. He himself is our peace. And to trust in the blood and righteousness of Christ is to have peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin separates us from God. Sin is disobedience to the commands of God. Sin is rebellion against the authority of God. Sin is mutiny against the government of God. But by faith in Christ, the blood of Jesus pays for our sins so that we can have peace with God. But not only does the believer have peace with God, but in Christ, we also have the peace of God. The king commissioned the artists of the land to draw a picture for him of what real peace looks like, and he promised a handsome reward for the winner. The first presentation was an idyllic scene, blue skies, plush meadow, quiet streams, fruitful trees. And in one of the tree branches, there was a bird sitting on the branch singing his song. The king saw it and immediately declared that painting the winning portrait. But a servant that had seen all of the submissions asked the king to see one more before he made his decision. It was brought before the king and it was the opposite of the picture he had just seen. The sky was dark, the wind was blowing, the rain was falling, the waves were crashing, and the trees were bent over. But in that picture, there was also a bird in the tree sitting on a branch singing his song. And the king declared that to be the picture, ultimately, of true peace. Hear me, church. Anybody can sing when the sun is shining. Anybody can sing when the sky is blue. Anybody can sing when the waters are calm. But it but it takes faith in Christ to enable you to keep singing your song when the storm is raging, when the winds are blowing and when... The rains are falling. This is what Jesus offers those who trust in him. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And in John 16, verse 33 He goes even further to say, These things I have spoken unto you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. What are you facing? Paul says, whatever it is, you can stand firm. If you wake up in the morning and put on your feet the assurance that you are right with God through faith in Christ. That in Christ, there is peace with God and in Christ, there is the peace of God. That language for that latter statement is rooted in the words of Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. I'm a student of the subject of prayer. Throughout my faith journey, I've studied diligently what the Bible says about the subject of believing prayer. I even wrote a book about the subject of prayer because as I read books on prayer over the years, many times it's, you read the book and you get more discouraged about how lousy your prayer life is. But but it's just not what I see in the scriptures. In the scriptures, God beckons us to pray. God woos us to come before Him in prayer. It's as if God uses enticements to get us to come before Him in prayer. That's why so many times, alongside a command. For the believer to pray is a promise of what God will do if you call on him in prayer. (laughs) Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is one of my favorite biblical promises for prayer. But it does not promise that if you pray, God will make your enemies leave you alone. Or that he'll heal your body. Or that he'll pay all your bills. Or that he'll restore your family. Or that he'll give you your desires. The text suggests that the battle may still be raging in your life and God may do nothing to stop the enemy around you. But though he may not stop the battle around you, he will send peace to guard your heart and mind. Y'all ain't in here with me. So that you can lose your job without losing your joy. So that you can lose your health without losing your hope. So that you can lose your friends without losing your faith. So you can live life on your own trying to keep the peace. or You can just put on the shoes of the gospel and let peace keep you. When peace like a river, said Horatio Spafford, my favorite song, says when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when faith becomes sight and the sky be rolled back like a scroll. The trumpet shall sound. And the Lord shall descend. And even then, it is well with my soul. I'm finished, church. God be praised for his word. Will you stand with me?
0: Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles, Jr. If you'd like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, you can reach us online at cutstraight.org. That's cutstraight.org. Dot .org Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.